0: This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colagard. Learn more at exactsciences.com.
1: Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today, I'm talking with Cap Time's food editor and arts writer, Lindsay Christians, who's been looking into how local restaurants might weather the impending winter or not as the pandemic continues to rage in Wisconsin. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for having me great to talk to you. So as you explain in your excellent story, when the pandemic first started, many restaurant owners, like many of us, thought maybe things would go back to normal in just a couple of months. But they were really wrong and so were we. Why is surviving through the winter such a different challenge for restaurants than surviving to this point?
0: So at the top of the story I spoke with Evan Daniels over at Cadre, which is a French-American restaurant on the near West Side, and he talked about where their mindset was at the beginning of the pandemic, which I think is true for a lot of restaurants, and they just thought if we throw money at this, you know, we can survive for 8 weeks, 12 weeks, that kind of thing, and by then we'll be able to be a little bit back in business, and then by six months, certainly this will all be over. They issued these really cool, designed gift certificates that you could like buy for 75 bucks and then redeem for 100, for example, sort of inspired by World War II uh, war bonds. And they did all these different kinds of things. Like they partnered with Vitruvian, which is a farm in McFarland, to use up some of their mushrooms and turn them into things that could be sold directly. They did all of these takeout specials focusing on different countries. Like there was one focusing on Korea and one focusing on Russia. And they did this quadro promotion where they, every like once a week, they turn the restaurant into like a Mexican taqueria kind of thing. And they just, they really pushed in every single direction that they could. Um, We had a drink out on their patio once, maybe a month ago, and they had combined all of these bottles of rum on their back bar into like a rum blend because they didn't want to be buying things, new things during the pandemic. They wanted to be using up what they already had. Because as Evan mentions in the story, through all of the things that they've been doing, he's just been working so many hours and so hard for no paycheck, it hasn't gotten the restaurant even halfway to where they were when they were dining in restaurants. So as we head into the winter, this is what restaurants have been dealing with for the past seven months of just trying to hang on. And now with no PPP coming and no help from the government and basically these spikes of COVID all over the state, things not getting better in terms of the future of like indoor dining in the near future. It just looks really grim for a lot of restaurants.
1: And you mentioned the PPP or the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, Why didn't that form of government help work out for restaurants? So Evan got PPP like many restaurants did, but
0: then some of them decided not to use it. And the reason is because the way that program was designed, it was designed to be short term, like eight to 12 weeks or something like that. And it was designed So that you could pay your staff, bring your staff back. Restaurants couldn't do that because they couldn't open fully. So you don't need, like at the old fashioned, 108 people to do, you know, 25% of your indoor dining and takeout. Like you just don't need the number of staff that you would otherwise. So restaurants are looking at, well, do I just pay my staff just to pay them to do nothing? There's not, and some of them like tried to find cleaning jobs for them or things like that, but they couldn't bring staff back when they didn't have a need or reason for doing that. And then by the time things started to open up a little bit more and we got some outdoor patios and things in the summer, the timeline had run out. And if you didn't use it fast enough, it became a loan that you had to pay back. So it, it was always complicated for restaurants and some restaurants just, they applied, they qualified for it and decided not to use it.
1: And. How do the challenges facing Madison area restaurants compare with the challenges that their counterparts in other parts of the country are dealing with?
0: So I think the major difference in terms of looking at it nationally is not so much between like Madison and other places, which is all pretty similar, I think, but between independent restaurants and fast casual or chain restaurants restaurants, especially the ones that have drive through I wrote something a few weeks ago about Culver's new veggie burger. And I asked uh, Quinn, the menu development director who I was interviewing, how Culver's had been doing. And they just went, they've been having a gangbusters year. They've been doing great. They were able to streamline some of their, their policies and their structures and things and just keep, but people want food that is inexpensive, comfort food that they can get quickly with low contact. And that's what fast food chains offer. And so the only restaurants that are really doing well at all are those kinds of, of chains and franchises. We can talk about this a little bit more later, but one thing that makes the the Restaurants Act, which is part of the Heroes 2.0 Act that was in passed by the House of Representatives in early October um, and is now in the Senate... Um, one of the differences there is that if you are a chain or a franchise with more than 20 locations, you do not qualify for those funds. And that's a difference from before. And I think it's it's interesting that they included that.
1: And Madison has a lot of restaurants, maybe a denser kind of arrangement of restaurants than some places do?
0: Yeah, we have a lot. We have a higher saturation, I think, of restaurants. And there were a lot of issues in staffing that we've talked about before with just getting enough people to work in restaurants. That said, that's not really unique to Madison necessarily. Like Chicago has similar staffing issues and there are other places around the country that experienced a similar restaurant boom in the 2010s, like about a decade in the 2010s. So cities like Nashville and new Orleans and Philadelphia kind of looked at similar increases in the number and type of, Independent restaurants they were seeing So there were similar issues in other places, I think, but I heard from several people that, like Madison was already kind of at a saturation point with restaurants and that we were looking at closures this year anyway, and the pandemic has just exacerbated those.
1: Wow, okay. So your story details some of the many creative ways that restaurants here are trying to adapt for this next stage. Can you tell me about some of your favorites of what you've seen? Yeah, for
0: sure. So I went into reporting this story like fully committed to writing something positive about resilience and about creativity. And you know, how I mean the restaurant industry is incredibly hardworking. They're creative people, um, they're smart and they're interesting and they're just I, I thought I'm gonna go into this and I'm gonna I'm gonna find stories of hope, hope and solutions. The reporting didn't take me in that direction quite as much as I'd hoped it would. It's a pretty grim scene out there, but some of the things we are seeing Uh, igloos. These are referred to as snow globes, globes, igloos. Sometimes they're like at Zuzu Cafe over near the Henry Vilas Zoo in Madison. It's sort of like a tent, like a windbreak. Like you might kind of like similar to the thing you might bring with you if you're camping and you want to have something to pop over your picnic table. Um, we bring like an open canopy, but like this is like fully enclosed and it's not heated in that one. Right. There's no heater in that. But but it's it's a windbreak and it allows you to get be a, just a little bit warmer while you're out there with your apple cider or whatever. And then you have more elaborate ones like they have at the Madison Club. Now, if you want to rent one of those on the weekend, not only do you have to be a member of the Madison Club, it's like minimum 300 rental and you have to like spend another 150 bucks on food and drink. So it's not an inexpensive outing. Um, but those igloos are cool. They have them at Rabinia. They're going to start put, taking reservations for those here shortly. They have them at a wine bar in uh, Cross Plains called 1909, and Carbon 4 is getting ready to put them in uh, later this month. So those are neat I personally, I think they might be a little too expensive for me, um, but the the prevailing wisdom there is bring your bubble to our bubble. Those are not for m- mixing of people from non quarantined together houses kind of thing. They are for people already in your in your family or your or your friend bubble. But they're neat, and that's a way to expand outdoor dining. Um, they're like fifteen hundred dollars for the, some of the igloos, so they're not cheap. Some of the other things that we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of innovation around delivery and takeout stuff. Those are complicated too, right? Because it's like 30% or whatever if you work with a third party delivery system. So you end up paying $18 for nachos. But those are, there are a lot of virtual brands. Uh, There's one coming later this week called Dive Burger from Brothers Three. There's a cool looking sandwich one out of Nashville called Acme Soup and Sandwich that I am very excited to try. There are like three, I think, out of Lucille. There's like The Art of the Nacho and Mad Taco and Slice Queen. And then Merchant is doing like a, a spicy chicken, like a sort of Nashville style hot chicken. And they're doing also some date night promotions around takeout and delivery, that kind of thing. So that's cool.
1: And you've written about these before, but a virtual brand is
0: basically Oh yeah. <laughs> a virtual brand it's basically like the restaurant is the is a restaurant kitchen, so Nashville's restaurant kitchen. And then Acme soup and sandwich is just a brand that operates out of that kitchen. So it's the same people and the same ingredients. Well, not in Notchfield's case, they're kind of different cuz they're sandwiches versus what they normally have. But like at the Great Dane, for example, they have Midcoast wings and there are wings on the Great Dane's menu, but Midcoast wings is just a wing brand. So it's like does it exist <laughs> in re, in like a brick and mortar way? Not really. Um, the chains were doing this first, like Applebee's and Chili's, and some of the other chains. Like Quick Trip has a fried chicken virtual brand. You're buying Quick Trip fried chicken, but it's called something else. Got it? You know. Got it. And it's a way to maximize your presence on the delivery platforms mm. because something like how the delivery platforms like search for things. I don't know why you couldn't just search for chicken sandwich, but apparently that's like not how their
1: mm. systems work.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs.
1: You also note that some restaurants are investing in ways to try to make indoor dining safer. What are the approaches they're trying, and should we trust them?
0: Early on in the pandemic, There was prevailing wisdom about doing a lot of sanitation. So, not only washing your hands, which is still a good idea, right? I'm not an epidemiologist, but I think I'm safe saying that (laughs) you should still wash your hands. Don't give up on
1: washing your hands yet. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: But early on, it was very much about sanitizing surfaces. So, everybody removed uh, anything that was handled by multiple people. And we were all concerned about like the virus living on surfaces. And I think the, the information that we have about how the virus spreads has changed. And we understand more now about how it moves around uh, in an airborne way, which is a nightmare, fully nightmare for restaurants. It's awful. So some of the restaurants, uh, Buck and Honey's is one. They've got locations in Monona and Sun Prairie. And I talked to Tom Anderson, who's the owner there. And he said that you know early on they in- they installed this thing called Omni. OmniShield, and it's like a shock and shield method where it basically sanitizes surfaces and reduces virus and other bacterial growth on those surfaces by like 96%, some crazy number. And it, and it lasts for 90 days. How long is that? Three months.
1: So this is some sort of coating on the the surfaces?
0: Yeah, I think so. Like that's I I'm real bad with science, but it seems that it's a antimicrobial coating. Yeah, that's on surfaces and they were doing it like every 50 days or something he said. But then, you know, as they've understood more about this thing being airborne, they were this past weekend going to be installing something in their HVAC. That's a combination of like light treatment and like air purification. And there was a place uh, in Kohler called the blind horse that was installing something kind of like this, where it's basically a a kind of UV light. Um, There's some of them that can be damaging to your skin and eyes so that it's not that, but it's, it's on that spectrum of like a UV light that kills like bacteria and viruses and they call it pathogens. And I think that's really interesting. Now, if you put in something like that in Madison and Dane County, you're still under the public health 25% indoor capacity rule. There's no mechanism for a restaurant or an event space to say, look, we spent $10,000 on HVAC improvements. Can we now seat 50% of our dining room? I don't think there's anything in place that would allow for that. So it's an open question, I think, right now. I know that Milwaukee had restaurants putting in place Basically, they're like COVID-19 prevention and safety rules before they could return to service. And then how much service they were able to return to was dependent on like how many steps they took. But Madison doesn't have anything like that yet. So it's it's a gamble, I think, on the part of a restaurant like Buck and Honey's to say, okay – this is going to be an issue for a long time. We're going to be dealing with this virus for a long time. And and if our business is going to survive, we're going to need to keep people safe. I, I just I think it's really interesting. Evan over at Cadre mentioned that restaurants have been looking for permanent solutions to temporary problems. And. It sort of reflects the reactiveness, I think, of the industry right now, where they're just trying to respond as quickly as they can at a time when no one has a lot of money to throw at these things. Definitely.
1: And speaking of money, uh, some restaurants have been crowdfunding to try to afford some pretty astronomical rents around here. How's that going?
0: There are so many crowdfunding campaigns now. The only one that I saw, I think, that actually made its goal was a short stack eatery over on State Street or off State Street. But there are, there were so many. I mean, it's usually framed as being for employees like Mickey's Tavern or, you know, Scotty Bar, Jordan's Big Ten Pub, La Brioche True Food, my beloved Osteria Papavro that I love so much, Um, obviously old fashioned was one that struck fear into a lot of hearts because that's a really busy and popular restaurant. And if they have to do a GoFundMe, that's very scary to see for a lot of folks. But Tammy Lax was talking about how she's had some of her rent deferred, that her landlords at the old fashioned and harvest have been, you know, helpful and working with her. But deferred rent is not, not paid rent. That's you pay it later. And if you're already sort of taking out loans and trying to survive as much as you can, and keep your employees on the payroll, it's really, it's really dire. And the prevailing wisdom, I think, in the industry is that a crowdfunding campaign, especially when you're starting a new place, for example, is great for clarifying your marketing and letting people know that you're there and also getting people to feel invested in you. It's not a great business model, it's not a sustainable business model. And now, as someone who loves to dine out in this town, I'm seeing one all, like every other day. And that's very scary too.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Now, if restaurants can't stay open through the winter, how likely is it that they'll reopen in the spring? And what determines whether they can reopen?
0: I think one of the major things that's going to determine whether they can reopen is if there's help from the federal government. Um, the Restaurants Act is 120 billion. I think that would go specifically toward small and independent restaurants. And without that, I. I don't know. I mean, we are seeing data that says like a third of restaurants are saying they won't survive in six months. And that's national. And it, and according to Susan Quam at the Wisconsin Restaurant Association, that third, the 33 to 37 percent or so, it tracks in Wisconsin, too, based on the responses they've gotten from their members. So I don't know. It's scary. Also, there are things to think about if you close down for the winter. You still, I mean, depending on whether you're is your rent going to be deferred? Are you going to have to pay rent during that time? Are you going to have to keep paying power bills so that your fridges stay on and all your frozen stuff is still good? Like, are you going to have to do things with the water lines and and power? It's, I don't know. There, I think restaurants are in a really tough spot. Uh, I talked to one guy, uh, Matt Stebbins, I think over at Notchville, he's Notchville and Brothers three on Fair Oaks. And he said that one of the projects they were trying to do, I think the Acme was just like, basically they were trying to lose as much money as they would if they closed down for the winter by having this virtual sandwich brand. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's one way of looking. He's like, we can, but this way we can continue to like put some money in the pockets of our employees that we've been able to to keep because they care so much about the employees. But yeah. Whether things are going to reopen is, is um, going to depend, I think, a lot on how liquid they were going into the pandemic, what their cash flow was like. And a lot of times it's not great.
1: Yeah. And is there any hope that more help could be on the way? Are there things that have worked elsewhere that could work here? Is it all about funding or are there other kinds of options that could help? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. So Madison is certainly not alone. In any of this, with the situation with restaurants. And I heard that again and again. I think we're gonna see something with this new coronavirus relief package, but it might not be until after the start of the new year, which is very scary for folks. I didn't hear a lot of hope around that from the people that I talked to, but they've also been waiting on this for months. So I I get that. One of the things I keep bringing up. And it is like my personal crusade. Um, More than 30 states, I guess, now in the country and Washington, D.C. now allow cocktails to go. And those are different than cocktail kits. My home state of Ohio became the second state to make the measure permanent cocktails to go. So when my mother goes to Loma Linda's and gets, you know, her nachos and her tacos and things that she likes. She can also get a margarita and she can have like a socially distant margarita night with her, with her funny ladies, which is what she calls them. But the margaritas to go was something my mom was talking about early in the pandemic. And I was like, oh, how, why? how come Wisconsin doesn't have anything like this? Cocktails <laughs> to go have a higher margin than cocktail kits and they're cool. I, I love this idea. It would not require any government help like aid, like bailout stuff that people hate the word bailout. But there are challenges with how alcohol is regulated in the state that are more complicated uh, than anything we want to get into here. But I do know that like Susan Kwam of the Wisconsin Restaurant Association, other people who lobby for restaurants are in favor of something like cocktails to go. And maybe someday you can order wings from Midcoast Wings and get a beer from the Great Dane. You know? delivered. That's also not a thing we can do. But I think I think cocktails to go could be a really great thing. Um, If I was an opinion writer, I would write an opinion column talking about how we all need to have cocktails to go.
1: (laughs) I'm not, though. Help us get through the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for this interview and for this delightful story. Listeners, I think that you should definitely check out this story. I really enjoyed it. So, Lindsay, thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I want to add one more thing. And that is, if diners want to know what to do to help out these restaurants that they love, the thing that I heard multiple times from different restaurateurs was pick three or four places that you love, that you really don't want to close, and then just support the heck out of them. Where maybe you were like me a bit before and a bit of a dining social butterfly, focus here on the ones that you really want to survive and then just really, really support them. So
1: that's it. Absolutely. Lindsay, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Cap Times food editor and arts writer Lindsay Christians, who's been following the local food and arts scene through all its pandemic twists. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Mad Splainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, Lindsay's podcast, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening.